0: Under the carpet here, and under the stage, when we first put this building up, we, we invited the people that were in the other building to come into this building with magic markers to write names down, to write prayers down. They prayed for family members, friends, co-workers, that one day they might come. And more more importantly, come not to this room but to Jesus, and a lot of those prayers were answered. I mean there, I mean, if you pull the boards up and you look under the carpet, you'll see names of people, and some of them some of you may be here right now. Right now, you may be here. And somebody prayed for you to be here, to be in a relationship with God. And we're going to take a step like that this fall. We're going to go down to the Roshek building. And our prayer is that the same type of thing will take place, that we'll be able to go into the space and during construction write names down on the floor and write prayers down of how God is going to use that space and how God is going to transform more people's lives and change more families and, and more stories of life transformation. And that's why we're going to the Roshik building. And and I hope many of you will be part of that. I hope many of you will join and say, hey, I want to be part of that. I want to be be a leader down there. I want to serve down there. I want to uh, invite my friends and and I want to be part of that. You're going to have an opportunity. You're going to hear more about that. But uh, there's names under your feet right now. And there's going to be names at the Roschek building. And I pray that you'll be part of that effort. And I'm very excited about what we're going to be doing, and I hope that you'll be praying about that because we believe... One of the things, we understand that our role as a church is kind of pretty boiled down is helping people connect with God. And we know we connect with God through Jesus Christ. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And we know that once we connect with Jesus, we begin a journey. And sometimes that journey is messy. That journey is is... Kind of challenging. There's ups and there's downs. There's highs and there's lows. It doesn't always go smoothly. And there's trials. There's tribulations. But Jesus is always there. And so we understand that we're part of a journey. And so the series that that we're on right now is kind of dealing with some of those bumps in the road. And one of the big bumps in the road that we have in the Christian life is anxiety. It's worry. Some of you, maybe there's a few of you that worry around here. <laughs> For the rest of you who don't, you're a liar. <laughs> <laughs> but do you know what the number one command that Jesus gave us in the New Testament, when you read the New Testament, Jesus gave us a number of commands, the number one command that he repeated more than any other command? Fear not. Fear not. You read the Sermon on the Mount and one of the biggest sections of the Sermon on the Mount has to do with anxiety and worry. So it's a big problem. For men, and, and most of you men would would attribute would agree with this, the, the number one fear that men have, one of the, probably the top fear that men have, especially men who are married and have families, is the fear that they won't be able to provide for their families. Because what does that say about them in our society? What's wrong with you that you can't take care of your family? So that's a fear. Excessive worry is like a gauge in a car. Um, you know the gauges in a car? I used to, a number of years ago, and I've, I've kind of grown as a person. I've developed as a pastor and I've learned, I've I, hopefully I've gotten wiser, and I used to, I used to throw this on women that uh, they never looked at the gauges in cars, like temperature gauges and oil pressure gauges and then I had uh, five boys, and one of my boys about a year ago was driving one of the cars, and the temperature gauge pinged all the way over. He didn't know that because he didn't look at it. And it was trailing a cloud of smoke behind it for ten miles. The end of the story was the end of the car and the end of the engine. <laughs> so I can't attribute it anymore to women... Um, I'm an equal opportunity offender. and <laughs> but, but the gauges are there for a reason. When the needle goes, and I remember saying this to my son, when it goes over, that's when you stop because something is wrong. I might have said it just like that. <laughs> but you know what? Anxiety and worry is that. It's a gauge. And it, when you're anxious and worried, and you've got these feelings in your gut, and something is wrong. And Jesus speaks to that need, so we want to look at that passage. So we'll be reading, I want to read Matthew 6, this is from the Sermon on the Mount, and starting at verse 24, and we'll read down through the end of the chapter. Chapter 6, verse 24. Jesus said this, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now you think, well that's odd that you're starting with that verse, but if you as you'll see the context and where we're going to go with this and the problem with anxiety is really tied to what Jesus is saying from this verse. And then he says this. This is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you will have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food in your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you much far more valuable than they are? And can all of your worries add a single moment to your life? Why do you worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their, clo- make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God so cares, so cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers that are here today and thrown in the fire tomorrow, He will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what shall we eat, what will you eat, and what will we drink, and what will we wear. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Now the next verse is one that you ought to underline and you ought to memorize. And if you don't have a life verse, a North Star verse, this is a great one. Seek the kingdom of God above everything else, above all else. And live righteously, and He will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Trouble, Today's trouble is enough for today. So Jesus says some important things in this passage. The first thing, the idea that I really want you to take away is this. That worry is a sign that you have an inferior master, that you have allowed something else to be the most important thing in your life. And we'll flesh that out in just a minute. So what is the cure for worry? Well, first, it's a change of our focus. We have to change what we're looking at. Worry is often future-focused. I'm worried about what's going to take place today or tomorrow. I'm not worried about what took place yesterday. Except if yesterday has implications for tomorrow or today, right? So, in other words, if I went for a a test on Friday and the the doctor said, we'll have the results on Monday, I might worry over the weekend about what the results are. But if I got the results uh, Friday... I'm, well, then you go, well, what if the results were negative or, or positive and, and, and you're in trouble and you have cancer? Now you're going to worry, <laughs> See, uh, but it's all in the future. Worry is always focused in the future. Uh, and Jesus is addressing us not to worry about tomorrow. He's, not, he's saying, don't worry about the future. See, fretting about tomorrow, and we fret about tomorrow, but we experience it today. So it has real impact on us. So it's a, it's a, it's a change. we have to change the focus there. Secondly, we have, it's a wasted focus. Now, I don't want you to raise your hand. Okay, because yesterday I said raise your hand. And if this is true. And I didn't really want anybody to raise their hand. One person raised their hand. And I think I embarrassed them. But um, if worry has ever helped you and ever encouraged your heart, and ever helped your, you in phys, your physical health, or health, raise your hand. And the answer is, no, it doesn't. <laughs> and, that, and that's the answer. Uh, study after study says that worry is a killer. That worry is one of the, wor- the most unproductive things that we, we can do. That worry will never solve anything. It often makes things worse. And most books that you go to that you read about anxiety and worry, basically the essence of many of those books and what they say is this. Here's your problem with worry. You're blowing things out of proportion... What you need to do is you need to see that most of your fears, most of your concerns, most of these things that you think are going to happen will never happen. You just have to tell yourself that you're, you're allowing yourself to go off. You're off and crazy. And you've just got to rein yourself in and tell yourself, this won't happen. And even go to your past and see see, it hasn't happened and it probably won't happen. So just calm yourself down. Now, there is some wisdom to that. There is some wisdom to say, well, most of the fears that you've had in the past never materialized, and probably these won't either. I mean, you think about some of the things that were really you were really fearful and worried about, and you look back at them now and say, I don't know what the big deal was all about. I'm going to show you, I think, a better way to overcome anxiety, because I think we haven't gotten to the heart of why we are anxious. And I think Jesus does in the passage we looked at. So worry is wasted focus. Finally, worry is a horizontal focus. Worry is due to the fact that we've taken our eyes off of heaven. And that's so important. Jesus uses two examples. He uses the example of the birds, and he uses the example of the flowers. And what he's doing there is he's using, he's using a greater to lesser argument. And the, and the argument kind of goes like this. God is the source. He's the author of all life. He's the one that puts the flowers in the field. He's the one that made the birds. And so the the idea there is he's saying, look at the flowers. They're there today and they're gone tomorrow. And and ultimately, it's under my rule and my domain. I'm the creator and sustainer of everything. So I've created the, the, the heavens and the earth. I've created the flowers in the field. I've created the birds. The birds don't have barns. And he says, and I've created you. Now, if I created you, I think I can get you a coat. I think I can get you water. And I think I can get you food. It's a greater to to lesser argument. If I can make you, then I can provide for you. You know, one of the arguments that people have is they say, well, I don't agree with all the miracles in the Bible. There's, there's a number of miracles in the Scriptures that I just can't agree with. And I just don't, I, I, I just don't think I can. I mean, some of the miracles I, I understand. but and, and all I say to people like that is I say, if you can get past Genesis 1... Every other miracle is pretty much small potatoes, isn't it? I mean, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, what did he do? He spoke a word. It was there. It was, you know, I mean, there it is. Heavens and the earth. Boom, boom, boom. There it is, right? And he's the, not just the creator, but the sustainer of the heavens and the earth. I think every other miracle is pretty much child's play. See, and that's what he's saying here. He's saying, you know what? If I, if I created the birds, I'll provide for the birds. If, if I created you, I'll give you clothing. I'll take care of your needs. I'm able to do that. This is not a challenge. And so that's essentially what Jesus' argument is. When he, and, and, and it was, I think, Martin Luther who said that God made the birds and the flowers to be our schoolmasters. And we're to look at them and learn about God from them. That if God takes care of them, He'll take care of us. If God takes care of His creation, our Father in Heaven will take care of His sons and daughters. here's really where we get to the heart of the problem and maybe the heart of the solution. We need to inspect our masters. Worry is a sign that our current master, our current God is beginning to fail us. Um, Augustine was a Christian theologian in the early church around the 4th century. One of the truths that he taught was this. He basically said that Christians will suffer anxiety because they've allowed other things to become big things. They've allowed, they've allowed good things to become ultimate things. The thing. Okay? And so the argument goes like this. Being a parent is a good thing. But when be, becoming a parent becomes an ultimate thing, then it becomes a bad thing. And there will be stress and there will be anxiety and there will be worry. Uh, For instance, relationships, marriage is a good thing, parenting, friendships are good things, careers and achievements are good things, hobbies are good things. Um, Virtually any good thing can become an ultimate thing, and when it becomes an ultimate thing, then it is going to be a problem. Because when that ultimate thing is challenged, when you feel you're going to lose it or it's in jeopardy, you will immediately struggle with worry and you will immediately struggle with anxiety because it is being challenged. Let me give you an example. Let's just say that you have a career and you enjoy this career and this career is able to provide you financial security and it's a, it makes you feel significant because you're able to do something, maybe something good for the community. You're able to to contribute. You're able to do some good things. You're able to provide for yourself. So it gets you a sense of security. It uh, it gives you a sense of significance. Um, You're satisfied. You enjoy it. You, you, You throw yourself into it. Nothing wrong with that. And I hope that you're all blessed with a job like that. I mean, if you are, let me know because maybe I want that job. But 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 no, you understand. This is one of those jobs where you go, this is uh, this is it. This is what I. This is great. But but it come. But this job becomes something more than just a job. It becomes more than just a career. It becomes who I am, my identity. It becomes the most important thing in my life. And I pour my life into it. I pour my at the expense of my family. And I I pour everything into it. Right. And you know, for men, this is a big thing. I mean, have you noticed the difference between men and women? When women meet each other, what do they say? Well, hi, who are you? I'm such and such and such. Do you have any kids? Let's talk about your kids, right? Well, what guys do? Hi, I'm Bob. I'm Jim. What, what do you do? Right? Isn't that, what do you do? I mean, because what, what is a job for a man? Many times a job for a man is, it defines who he is. So let's just say that you you have this job, and it's become more than just a job, more than a career. It's become serious in your life. I mean, you find a lot of security and a lot of satisfaction and a lot of significance in it. And all of a sudden, the boss calls you in on Monday and says, Hey, you've been doing a great job. We love you here. You put in more hours. You're totally dedicated. But here, the company's downsizing. We don't have a position for you anymore. I just want to tell you right now that you're going to walk out of that office and you are going to be absolutely devastated. You're going to be absolutely floored. Let me give you another example. You're a mother and you're raising your children and you want to raise them right. Maybe you didn't have the good parents, but you're going to be that good parent. We have a lot of young parents around here. And you have ideals and you have plans and you have dreams for your children. You want them to grow up to be a certain way and you're going to knock it out of the park with them. And then they grow up. And they begin to have their own personality. And they begin to be difficult. Challenging. And they don't necessarily give you the love back that you thought you were going to get. And you have sacrificed. And you have sacrificed. And you have prayed. And you have prayed. And you have prayed. And they get to the teenage years. And you wonder if... They're even your kids. And and we laugh, but some of us are going, that's not funny. <laughs> and where is your identity now? Some of you say, I'm a failure. I must have done something wrong. I, I, I thought I cared. I thought I did everything. I sacrificed for them. But they're not it didn't turn out the way I planned. I feel like a failure and I feel I'm so insecure and I feel so worried about everything about them and I did. And you realize that you're not in control. Right? And what 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 Augustine was saying is when we take good things like being a good parent We're having a career, and we make it the ultimate source of our security and significance and satisfaction when that thing doesn't go well, when it changes, when the foundation begins to crack our life, we go, my life is over. What am I going to do? I'm a failure. I don't know what I'm going to do. And he is basically saying, essentially, what Jesus was saying. See, Augustine said that if there is a God who created you, and there is, then the deepest chambers of your soul simply cannot be filled by anything less. If Jesus is Lord, then by definition, nothing else can satisfy you like He can. And what you have done is you have created out of something good an ultimate thing a God, a master. And you'll do anything for that master so that master will give you what you want. And what you've done is you've taken your eyes off of heaven and you've tried to find that those things in the world. And, and, and by the way, in relationships or in a career and raising children, you can have a lot of good things. All those good things of satisfaction significance, those are all good things. Don't think you shouldn't. Get, but if you find your ultimate on that and you place all your weight there, it will crack. It will fail you. And your life will fall apart. And you will be so beside yourself, you'll say, what went wrong? And you just look at a man who has worked in a job and has done a good job and worked very hard and then all of a sudden is told, I'm sorry, we don't have a place for you. And he goes, who am I? You will not conquer anxiety until you allow Jesus to be your everything. Jesus, in our text, is directing us back to our Heavenly Father. He's telling us that He will provide for us, that He will care for us, that He is able and willing to watch over us. us. And and if we're living in fear, it's because we've replaced Him with an inferior master, and an inferior master is failing us. (laughs) It It can't sustain the weight. I like how Tim Keller puts it. He says, Jesus is the only Lord who, if you receive Him, will fulfill you completely. And if you fail Him, will forgive you eternally. In other words, Jesus is the foundation that will never break. Will never fail you. The Bible says in Proverbs 4.23, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. You'll know that you have an inferior master because when it is threatened, you'll begin to experience extreme anxiety. You will have a worried heart. You will shift. What you have done is you've placed your, your faith weight on this inferior master and it's cracking. And what you have to do is you have to transfer your faith weight back to Jesus, back to your Father in heaven. Worry is a critical gauge to inform us that our master is cracking. <laughs> That's why there are some people that are going through horrific events in their lives and they're not being stupid about it saying, you know, like, they know they're going through horrific events. They know that life's not going well. They're not denying that. But their head is up because they have a different foundation. They have a different master. They know that He has them in, his, in their hands and it makes a huge difference. Here's the last thing that we can learn from this passage. We need to reapply our faith. Worry is a sure sign that we've misplaced our faith. And Jesus rebukes his disciple. He says, He says, Little faith, little faith. You know, here's, here's the deal. We place our faith somewhere. Every one of us places our faith somewhere. The question is have we placed it on the right foundation? And if you're worried, it's a sign that you probably have put too much weight on an inferior foundation or an inferior God. And, and that's where anxiety comes from. While my worry changes nothing, God can change everything and anything. Let me give you a couple of passages and we'll, we'll just close it out with this. Number one, God holds the world together, not me. Some of your worry is that you think you you're, you're holding the work your world together, <laughs> and it's not working real well. Have you noticed that? I mean, you just throw a few people into your world, and you're <laughs> you're immediately in trouble because they have their own wills and they make their own decisions and they affect you and all that other stuff. But notice what he says in Colossians. Paul says Christ is. The visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything. It was created and is supreme above over all creation. For through Him, God created everything in the heaven heavenly realms and on earth. Now, what Paul's saying here is that Jesus, the second member of the Trinity, created the heavens and the earth, the second person of the Trinity. And then he goes on to say, he made the things that we see and the things we can't, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, authorities, and the unseen world. And then he says this, everything was created through him and for Him, He existed before anything else, and He holds all of creation together. In other words, Jesus is the one who not only created the heavens, but He sustains them. And, and so, in a sense, our life is in His hands. Do you know that? Do you acknowledge that? Anxiety is a sign that you are not, at that moment, acknowledging who is really in charge of the universe in your life. Secondly, His wisdom is supreme, not mine. You know, uh, in Proverbs 8, wisdom is personified, which just simply means they give wisdom a personality to talk about itself. And it's speaking about the wisdom of God. And this is what it says. Whoever finds me, wisdom, finds life and receives favor from the Lord. But those who miss me injure themselves. All who hate me love death. And so wisdom is, his wisdom is supreme. He has the supreme wisdom. My plans fail, His never do. Notice the Lord of Heaven's army has sworn this oath. It will all happen as I planned. It will be as I decided. You see, God doesn't make plans and go, oh man, I didn't see that one coming. I've got to have to plan B, I guess. No, He doesn't need a plan B. He's in control of the smallest details. I'm not. Some of you are a detail person and you pride yourself on details. Get a load of the detail of God. Notice what he says here. What a price what's the price of two sparrows? One copper coin? That's not a lot. But not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your Father knowing. In other words, the point he's trying to make here is, in this, the, the big scheme of the universe, the cosmos, the heavens and the earth, and all the creatures on the earth, of the whole world, this is a pittance, this is a very small, small thing. But when one of them falls to the ground, God is aware of. And here's even finer detail. For some of you, it's not so fine detail. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than the whole flock of sparrows. In other words, God says, I know the very hairs of your head. Proverbs 61 says, we make our own plans, but God the Lord gives the right answer. I want to talk about one last worry. We'll close with this. I think it's been about every week that I've either gone to a funeral or officiated in a funeral. People are dying. It shouldn't be a shock. It happens. One of the things that you cannot, you should not, when you attend a funeral, you should not walk away. And listen, nobody likes talking about dying. It's not like I get into this and I'm really excited about this. But it's a part of life. But one of the things you should learn when you go to a funeral is, and you should think about is, one day, that is going to be me. Am I ready for that? Am I ready for that? And and by the way, I don't know when that day is going to come. Am I ready? And so sometimes we should come to a place and we should say, let's address a fear that within ourselves, the fear of death. Not the fear of just dying, but the fear of saying, am I ready to die? Am I ready to face God? Am I ready to stand before God? And there's only one way to stand before God, and that is to have Jesus stand before you. To have Jesus take your sins away. And that's why Christ Jesus came to earth, climbed up on a cross, and gave Himself for you. So that you could have... What Paul calls in Romans, peace with God. And so how do you die knowing that you're going to have peace with God and God's not going to... I still have people today that say, well, I hope I didn't, you know, I think I did something to anger God. I I just want to tell you that if you are under the blood of Jesus Christ, God's wrath has already been poured out. That He's not angry with you and He's not waiting to slap you and He's not waiting to punish you. If you know Jesus as as your Savior, if you called upon Him, then Paul says, you have peace with God. When God sees you, He sees the righteousness of Jesus in your place. And you are forgiven. So I'm just asking you, if you were to die today, would you be at peace with God? Would, would your family members be able to say, I miss them, but one day I'll see them again. That's the ultimate anxiety that we, many of us carry around. But you can have that peace today. Jesus said in John 14, I'm leaving you a gift. Peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give you, the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Jesus is saying is when you have me in, my, in your life, when you give me your life as I gave my life to you, when you give your life to me, and we begin this journey, you'll have trials, you'll have tribulations, but the one thing you will have, if you trust me, is you'll have peace. If you're going through anxiety or you're worried about something, it's probably because you're placing your faith, you're placing your trust on the wrong foundation. And it's beginning to crumble under the weight. And it's going to keep crumbling. You have to replace the faith where it needs to go. Put yourself in Jesus' hands and say, Jesus, I trust that not only do you love me, that you have the ability to care for me. If you created me, you can care for me. And that you have a plan for me. I pray that everyone would leave today with a new peace that passes all understanding. That when people look at you when you're going through trials and tribulations, they say, It doesn't make any sense. How could they be so peaceful in the midst of this turmoil? And the answer is because I have Jesus within me, calming my troubled heart, telling my worried heart to shut up. Right? Amen. Let's stand. Father, thank you for uh, your word. Thank you for the way that you encourage us. Thank you for Jesus and the way that he, he uses real practical examples of how we can combat worry and anxiety. And Father, some of us have, have maybe for a while been placing too much trust in these uh, foundations. They're good things. They're things that you've given to us: a career, jobs, uh, families, relationships, uh, hobbies—all uh, those things that are—they're not bad things. But we've made them ultimate things. We've we've allowed them to invade our life and to take over, and 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 now we feel that we're losing. And we've built ourselves, our lives, our our security, our significance on those things, and we're crumbling. Help us to place our trust back into you. Help us to trust you and to place our faith there. And thank you, Father, that your hands are strong and deep and wide and loving. For this we give you great thanks and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.